Today is Reformation Sunday. It's a great day in the life of the church. It's a great celebration, which we are reminded not so much of what a great man that Luther was, but rather how God used a sinner just like Luther to do great things. And it's a reminder for us as well that even though we celebrate uh, the events of the Reformation, we have there in your bulletin those, those great mantras from the Reformation, Scripture alone, that everything that we need for this life, uh, as well as for salvation, comes through Scripture. By grace alone, it's a gift. The gift is the gift of faith, by faith alone, and of course through Christ, who alone died on the cross to forgive us all of our sins. But it also reminds us that the church continues to need to reform, and each one of us as well, individually, needs to continue to, to change so that we can make the world a better place. So, as it is Reformation, you notice that we all have red. A lot of you are wearing red as well. Uh, it's been pointed out to me this morning that I'm not wearing red. I don't have a lot of red in my wardrobe except for uh, my gear that I wear to support my favorite teams. But because I did not want to make all of you feel jealous, I did not wear those. But instead, we have these wonderful rose-colored glasses. And so when I look out, all I see is red. And you can do the same. We also have bandanas. You can wear those uh, as well. We wear red because it is the color for the Holy Spirit. You see these fanning into flame come Holy Spirit. It reminds us of, of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon those disciples. But he continues to do that today every time that we hear the Word of God. Uh, and even in our baptism now for, for all of us who have been baptized and a reminder with gin as well, the Holy Spirit lives here and he remains here. And that's the power of of God's transformation or reformation in our lives. As you take a look at your bulletin this morning, if you want to, you can follow along, you can fill in the blanks, but most importantly, to live out the message. So let's begin with this. Christ has set us free. Jesus said to this crowd of people, many of them who were Jews, and some of them were starting to believe in, in him, but yet many were still skeptical. He said, if you hold to my teaching." You are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the big idea for today, for the message, is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is not like a wet blanket. It doesn't stifle us. It doesn't put us in bondage, but rather it sets us free. So we're going to go all the way back in the very beginning of time to the Garden of Eden. So I don't think that it probably happened exactly like this. I mean, we have the words of the Bible, but I often, I don't know, maybe you do too, I often like to, to kind of think about the things the Bible doesn't say. So we've got Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, they're enjoying God's presence in all of these good gifts, all the fruits, the vegetables, uh, the, the beautiful uh, living things that are all there. Uh, the animals are tame, and it's just a, a grand and glorious paradise. So one day as they're strolling through the garden, uh, the snake, the devil, he comes up to them, and he said, you know that tree that's in the middle of the garden? Yeah, we know the one. Uh, did God really say that you can't eat from that one tree? And they said, yes, God really said that. Everything else, it's fair game. We can eat from anything else, but not that one tree. 
And then this is the part that I imagine that the devil whispered to them and said, do you know why God said that? Because God wants that fruit for himself. Yeah, you see, God wants the very best. He doesn't want you to have it. God is selfish in that way. He wants the very best for himself, and he is leaving you out. So kids, this is what, I, what, what we're going to do. We're going to eat from that tree, and we're going to throw the oppression of God off of our backs. We're going to get rid of that big old thumb, and we are going to have true freedom, and we're going to do exactly what we please, and we're going to take over the world. And so Eve reaches for the fruit, and she eats it. And what happened? The big lie is that the devil constantly tells the people of the world and some who are foolish to believe that he is going to give us freedom and liberty. But all along, the thing that we always get is bondage and slavery. Now let me ask you, how did it turn out for Adam and Eve in the garden? Not so good. They had everything. It was easy for them to get food. Afterwards, the ground didn't cooperate anymore. There were thorns and thistles. And there were insects and there were bugs that ate the stuff. And now today we have to go to the grocery store and we have to buy everything. They were no longer free as they were in the garden before to enjoy all of God's creation. Now it was painful and there would be suffering. And there was this thing that had never occurred before and that is death. There was no death before there was sin. And now it's something that all of us will one day experience. And so the devil has always promoted this big lie, let's just get God off of our back, who has all these rules and regulations and laws, and let's do what we, what we please to do so we're free. And so... Fast forward, and here is Jesus now speaking to these Jews. And he says, if you become my disciples, the truth is going to set you free. And they say, wait a minute. We, we have never been slaves to anybody. We are descendants of Abraham. Don't you know that from your Bible history, Jesus? And again, if I am filling in the blanks, I imagine Jesus might have said, or at least thought, something like this. Oh, Really? Freedom? You're pointing to me that I don't know my Old Testament history? What about you? Don't you remember this place called Egypt and the bricks that we had to make and the 400 years of slavery and oppression? And you remember that time when we actually had to make bricks without even using straw? And then it was God who brought us out of slavery. We even have this this annual festival, this big party. What is it called again, anybody? Passover. Because what did God do? His angel passed over the Jews and spared their lives. And oh, if you, if, if you don't remember that, fast forward again. You remember the Babylonians? They held us in slavery for 70 years. They destroyed all of our vineyards, our gardens, our trees, our crops. 
They took all the able-bodied men and women, and they took them to Babylon. Don't you remember that? Our children didn't even know where they came from. And oh, this temple thing here, this great, grand, glorious structure, it's not the original because the Babylonians tore it down. And then there were the Persians, and then there were the Greeks. And oh, this Roman soldier guy here, the Romans <laughs> have conquered us, and we are under their thumb. The big lies, the devil always telling us that we can be free on our own. But all we ever get, not liberty, but slavery. And so it was as we fast forward again to the Reformation. 506 years ago, Tuesday, an obscure Roman Catholic monk, a priest, there in Wittenberg, posted those 95 theses or statements on the castle door because he was saying that the medieval church, the Roman Catholic church, which was once the universal church, it too has put all of you people in slavery through what Mrs. Robinson had talked about before. Two things. One is purgatory, which was the, the unfounded, unbiblical belief that even though eventually all Christians will go to heaven, you don't go immediately when you die. Yes, Jesus died on the cross, and yes, the church would say, he paid for your sins, but it wasn't enough. And so you're going to have to spend time in this nebulous place called purgatory. And there, number one, you're going to have to stop sinning, and number two, you're going to have to suffer a little bit, and factor a lot of it, so you can finally get to heaven. Then they came up with this other idea called indulgences. Because what's going to happen in purgatory, exactly the same thing that happens here, we're not going to stop sinning, are we? Because we are not perfect. And so they said, well, if you do some good things, we'll give you credit for that. And eventually, the good stuff might outweigh the bad. And then the church came up with this other grand idea, they were doing a building campaign. How many of you here at Emmanuel love our capital campaigns? Raise your hand. A couple of you? That's good. Thank you. Yeah. You see, the Pope was building St. Peter's Basilica. Anybody ever been there? It's wonderful, isn't it? Just gorgeous. I've only seen the pictures. Someday we're going to go. Well, they were building that 500 years ago. And they didn't have enough money because the church never has enough money, right? So the Pope says, tell you what, you can pay for your indulgences so you get out of purgatory quicker. And that was about the time that this monk named Luther said, enough is enough, and we need to make some changes. And what really threw him over the edge is that the Pope had decided that not only could you pay indulgences, to reduce your time in purgatory, you could do it for people who are already dead. So if you really love mom and dad, <laughs> I mean, come on, you can pay for them. If you really love your deceased aunt and uncle, you can pay for them. Even old cousin Freddie, you don't like so much, it would be a good thing to pay for him. And so there was this jingle by a man named John Tetzel 
as he went through Germany, he would say, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Pretty catchy, don't you think? Pretty good ad campaign. The devil in the big lie. You can gain your freedom. Freedom from God and his punishment by what you pay. And so it goes on and on and on, fast forward again 500 years till today. As I mentioned, Reformation is not just about celebrating what Luther has done, but also looking at ourselves and see what we, to see what we are doing and to see where we need to reform as well. And the church today, as you know, is not perfect. Certainly not the universal church. Many denominations, many theologians, even pastors, don't believe that Scripture is the only authority. There is this notion among many clergy people that Jesus wasn't truly God. Oh, a good man, a good teacher but not truly God. And if that is the case, then therefore his, his death on the cross means nothing. Because only God has the ability to save through his death. And throughout the world, there is this notion that, that all paths, not just a scriptural path, not just the path through the cross of Jesus, but all paths lead to heaven. After all, God is a loving God. And he wants everyone to go to be with him forever. And again, then Jesus has died for nothing. Slavery, the false doctrine, the false belief. And yet throughout all of this, this big lie has put us into bondage. For all of those people who, who would believe the false teaching going to heaven because the wages of sin is still death. Now, I could stop here, of course, and maybe I should. <laughs> but we as Lutherans, we too have our own failings, our own failures. One of those is something that is known as cheap grace. Dietrich bon Bonhoeffer had had coined this phrase back in the 1940s. Cheap grace is simply the, the notion that it doesn't matter what I do, I can just go keep on sinning because after all, Jesus has paid for everything. And so if I tell a little lie, no big deal, Jesus' blood covers that. Well, if I tell a big lie, no big deal because Jesus' blood has covered that. If I cheat the government, that's all right because Jesus' blood has covered that. Even if I hurt someone, Jesus' blood has covered that, and on and on it goes. And yet, what does Jesus say? Everyone who sins is what? A slave. A sin. You see, this is what happens when, when we tell the little lie, then that becomes our lifestyle, and the little lie becomes a big lie, and becomes a repeated lie, and a constant lie, and we become a liar. Jesus said the only way that we can 
can be freed is through the Son and to know the truth. And so if the Son sets you free, you will what? You will be free indeed. Now, as we conclude this morning, this is what I want you to to finally remember and to come away with today, that truth is not a philosophy. Oh, there is truth, of course, in the Bible, but truly truth is a person, and that person, of course, is Jesus Christ, a real human being, a real flesh and blood person, the historical Jesus who was born 2,000 years ago. To that Virgin Mary who miraculously became pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit, who was truly born in a stable in Bethlehem, who grew up and, and lived that perfect life in your place and in mine, who really did go to a cross where he was nailed by authentic pieces of iron. And a real crown of thorns was put on his head. And he bled real red blood. And he suffered incredible pain and agony. The same stuff that the church once said, you and I would have to suffer in purgatory or in a place called hell. He suffered that, and then he truly did die for the sins of the entire world. And then, of course, he did rise physically, bodily, from the dead and ascended into heaven. And he truly did send his Holy Spirit into our hearts and minds so that we could be free forever. It is only the truth, the person of Jesus Christ, that provides the freedom that you and I need every single day, not just now, but also for all of eternity to remove the shackles of our sin, to free us from the inevitable death that is going to occur, and who continually provides the power to defeat the devil. That's the truth. And that's the freedom into which we need to continue to abide. Now, this is the last part, and this is the part that sometimes we struggle with. I want you to point to the person next to you, and I want you to tell them, I am glad that you are abiding. Can you do that? I am glad that you are abiding. You are here in worship today. You are abiding not only with the Lord, but also with your fellow believers. We need to remain in Christ. And so that means, at least I hope, that tomorrow morning when you wake up, you will continue to abide. And your first thought of the day will be of Jesus. And you'll ask him to bless the day. And I hope that you will abide with him when you have your first meal and you'll thank him for your good gifts. And I hope that you'll abide with him next Sunday and return be here again in his house and with his people. And I hope that somewhere in the week you'll read the Bible because truth comes from Scripture. And I hope that you'll do some good works, not because you want to 
tip the scale in your favor so you get into heaven. But in response to what God has already done for you, you love others because he first loved you. As we conclude this morning, as I put on my rose-colored glasses once again, I see red everywhere. The color of the Reformation, representing the power of the Holy Spirit. But even if you're not wearing red, what I truly see is a son and a daughter of our Heavenly Father, a brother and sister of Jesus Christ. Because you and I are going to continue to sin, and yet we are not slaves, but we're the children of God. And that alone means that we can abide with him forever. I pray that you will continue to reform the church. Well, how about the world? Simply by sharing the same good news that the God who lives in you can live in others as well. And so that you truly can live that abundant life that everyone wants, that the devil promises and cannot deliver. But God has given to you not only now, but forever. Amen? Amen. Let's all rise.